Well, may as well record an intro for another one. Doing another one. Doing another one with Micah Green. The the healing club. The cleaning club. The cleaning club. The cleaning club. That that would have been better. The cleaning club. Um I made it through the first round of the funniest person in Houston contest. I I came in second out of twelve. And then on the night that I went up there were twelve comics and I placed second. I was a little <laughs> Why? Why? Why wasn't I good enough? Why wasn't I number one? I thought I was gonna be the best. I gotta be the best. My life depends on it. I'll die. I'll die if I'm not the best. I get that shit going in my head. It's 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 a life or death thing. I'll die. I don't want to die. Um, nah, I don't know. I came in second. It's good. It's good. I, I'm I'm up on Thursday, and I'm thinking I should do different material. At the very least, you know, then I'll have a different video out because the point is, uh, I don't know, whatever. I'm, I'd love to, I'd love to make it to the finals. I'd love to place uh, second again. I just want to be in the final round, and I, and I want to, I want to be on their festival or whatever. But I can lose with dignity now because I at least made it through the first round. Although, you know, some really good people didn't make it through the first round, so, you know, it's, uh, it's all just a uh, crapshoot. It doesn't matter. We're all going to die. This is, um, what do you think the world's going to look like in 30 years? What do you think? What do you think it's going to be uh, full of the same uh, comedy problems? Do you think people are, or do you think there's just going to be war in the streets, famine, and trickery, you know, shooting and mischief, you know, like death all around us, uh, resource shortages, no water, you know, dirty tricks. I, I'll keep going with that tricky joke, you know, um, Micah Green here is, uh, is also uh, a devoted comedian, excellent, funny comedian, um, frequent guest on the Healing Club, where um, we speculate on uh, the collapse of our government and uh, the, you know the erosion of our rights and uh, the world falling into tyranny and stupidest people possible taking charge and uh, you know just panic in the aftermath of uh, you know it's as if you know the the tsunami is coming and we can see the 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 seabed on the beach you know for miles and miles ahead and we're acting like it's life is normal let's go to a comedy show all right the i mean there are all the signs pointing to uh more pandemic more disaster more Donald Trump's, more, you know, complete runaway uh, economic insecurity. Just, uh, um, I, I, 
I feel like 40, 50 years from now, I don't know if people are really going to identify with this podcast. I don't know if these are classics. This is just of the moment. And if you're listening to this in the moment, hey, I hope you're having a good time because I had a really good time recording with Micah Green. He was He's always funny. He's one of the best comedians in Houston, Texas. He's He's been uh, doing, doing the stand-up almost as long as me. He's... um. He's he's really really got the goods. So um, he's he's once again on this podcast. My name's Bob Bob Morrissey. I do stand up. I I hope it gets. Uh, I hope you know. I hope it goes goes well on Thursday. I hope I I hope I make it to the finals in the funniest person in Houston contest held at Rudyard's. But I doubt it. I mean, I really doubt it. So. Um, you know, just just hear us talk. We gab, we jab, we um, we have a, a fab time in this uh, apartment of mine with Mrs. Kisses, as always, my cat. Um, welcome to Bob Morrissey, Micah Green, Mrs. Kisses, the Healing Club on the internet. All right, woohoo! Okay, everybody, this is The Healing Club with Micah Green, our guest on The Healing Club. Just killed it tonight on the Dirty Show at the Secret Group Midnight Dirty Show, Burlesque, Micah Green, Jay Cookie, and more. Tonight at the Secret Group. Micah Green killed it tonight. You were great tonight. Thank uh, you very much. Yeah, and, and he found my Rogaine in the bathroom when he uh, he saw he saw that I used Rogaine, and then he, and then he got self-conscious, and now he's talking about his hair. I uh, I was kind of I was trying to make the conscious decision to mention it before the podcast started. Oh, oh yeah. And, <laughs> but there's always like an ambush, you know, beginning to these podcasts. There's got to be, you know, that's part of it, you know. That's like uh, your different self when you're speaking into a microphone. Anytime you're speaking into a microphone, even if it's at your own house. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I just moved into a new apartment um, with my girlfriend Hannah. Hannah Philibert, friend of the show. She's a great guest. She was very funny and sensitive. And a uh, supremely intelligent. Yeah, um, artistic, great singer. She was killing it at uh, karaoke the other night. I thought um, a good song for her would be that Annie Lennox song, Walking on Broken Glass, because she hits every note. And if somebody could pull that off, everybody there would be like, yeah. Yeah, I bet she would nail it. And you ever seen? You ever seen her saying, uh, "Sweet dreams (parentheses) are made of these." So she loves Annie Lennox right. already. Yeah, so yes, yes. okay, all right. I started doing that. I thought you were about to do. I thought you were about to do. Oh, that's what I do. I, I I can't get no satisfaction. That's what I sing. Um, I like to sing Smith's songs. I know mm. that you named yourself after Morrissey, and so you are yeah beholden to him forever, Morrissey. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, did you hear what he said about reggae? No, it's like one of the first big Morrissey controversies. What? He, 
he came out and said that reggae should be outlawed because it's black supremacy. Reggae should be outlawed because it's reggae should be outlawed. It's black supremacist music. (laughs) (laughs) Reggae should be outlawed. (laughs) 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 You know. Oh, what a dick. (laughs) I'm like, what a dumb dick. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I think he's just like, uh, you were saying that some people, when they're acting out, you're like, I will watch them say shitty stuff about their wife on stage because I know it's like hard to be that person. Or, you know, like or you see somebody say something ill-advised and dumb and insensitive and rude and mean and sarcastic in a way that's just dumb. And you're like, I see Albert DeLeon saying things that like he shouldn't say, like he's not going to educate his kids. He's like, I turned out dumb. I'm fine. Fucking, you know, nobody's going to be better than me. No, no kid of mine is going to be smarter than me. Fucking, yeah, like, life is better when you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> like, um, yeah, but, know, but, you know, like, he's kidding. Yeah. But, uh. Well, because the whole dialogue about what is and isn't appropriate to say as a comedian is all based on the concept of punching down. But if the person, yeah. quote unquote, punching down is already like a homunculus, yeah. then. I love, it, okay, so. Who's a homunculus? What's a homunculus? Is that like a little little person living in my brain? So, is that is that like a little spirit that's like a Tom Thumb living in my soul? I think the phrase was initially that, coined. Just kind of a little worm kind of inhabiting my uh, in spirit the, and my body? In the early 1900s, there was a scientist whose name I forget who drunkenly jerked off onto a slide and then looked at it under a microscope and swore to God up and down that he saw little men inside of his sperm kind of like oh like they were train cars and you had like a little man in there oh, okay and uh that you was... could see like 1950s movies with uh scientists putting something under a slide and you see like little uh there's just the giant ants dna and it's like little ants with machine guns or something it's like just... <laughs> this is how we like... get the killer bees out of the ass yeah like, um... yeah so uh i had a thought on the way over here while sure. I was driving from the secret group because yeah. I just watched a vampire movie called The Invitation tonight at the movie theater with Andy, my boyfriend. Is that a new movie? Or yeah, a, yeah, okay. it's a vampire movie. And I also, we recently watched a vampire movie on Netflix called Day Shift with Jamie Foxx and Snoop Dogg. And I was listening to that Snoop Dogg and Chingy song, Holiday Inn. Remember the Holiday Inn? Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> bomb ass pussy. That's <laughs> a bomb ass pussy. Or whatever he says. But, like, I was thinking about, like, all these movies with vampires. Nobody's like, oh, great, I'm a vampire. They're like, uh, I'll never be a vampire. Like, yeah. And, and uh, I, how would you approach it if you were bitten by a vampire and you had to be a vampire? I was thinking of how I would do it. I kind of want to hear how you would do it. Well, okay. There's the movie 30 Days of Night, which I think is the most realistic approach. To That's it, where he eats blood scraps? No, from, well, uh, it's in Alaska. That's, yeah, with they're Josh uh, Hartnett? Yes. And uh, they're in Alaska where there's like 30 days of total darkness. So that's, you know, that, yeah. that's, the, that's what makes the most sense to me. But yeah. I, I took a... I'm employed by a, um, an apartment... Uh, company out of Seattle and they flew me out to Seattle and um, you could be a it is the dreariest motherfucking place Mm. it's Seattle's so fascinating because it's like incredible rolling hills incredibly lush vibrant nature like like the Goonies let's watch that 
the, so that's why everybody loved that movie because it was like, wow, that place looks so cool. And the hot kid. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, so it's like no shortage of just shapes and colors, but it's all completely draped in the most oppressive uh, um, blanket of gray woolly sky and everyone acts like they're on fucking Prozac. Or that they should be on Prozac. Or that they should be on Prozac. They're about to shoot up a school. They had they had like the, the it, they it, had the Nazis there in the you know deep uh, woods uh, like Idaho I think that that's like uh, neo Nazi country is like uh, that's that's where the skinheads go to get angry and be alone and then you know hatch plans and stay in cabins in Montana or whatever all those places that are just like depopulated and you know, uh, kind of neglected and uh forgotten the idea of like because you always hear about you know very thoughtful you know writer types i'm gonna yeah. take a retreat out into the wood just me you know yeah, just talk to nobody cabin. for years and years talk to you know take a month just to my to myself and it's very funny to think about a guy who's like i'm gonna rent a cabin try to be more hateful Try to be, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna write I'm gonna go out into the woods, rent a cabin, and try to watch more Fox News. <laughs> yeah, I I think a lot of people are just working seventy eighty hours a week and taking methamphetamines and angry all the time about everything. I was saying there's just like instant, just like miasma of unpleasant feelings, kind of uh, per, pervasively you know infecting like a. You know, there's a pandemic of negativity in this country. Yeah. I would say. But I was saying that, like, a, a way I would work being a vampire oh, okay. is if I uh, were bitten by a vampire, I would be like, ah. And then um, I'd be like, I don't want to kill anyone innocent. I'll just be homeless. I'm immortal. I'll just, like, be homeless. And I'll see how people treat me. And whoever treats me the worst, I... I won't kill him right away. I'll get to know him and all the people that are like surrounded by him that are all terrible too. So I can have like a bank of about 15 or 20 people to go and like slaughter. And, and then, you know, like I would be like, uh, I, I'd be, I, I would only kill really bad people who are bad to really poor people. And, uh, and then I'd work my way up to like killing, you know, uh, the Trump family or whatever. But so uh, fucking like that's so much work though. That's like that's I would like, have thousands of years to accomplish this. That's like I'd be saying. like watching like I and I'd be like if I can just like you know um, and then I, if I'd keep an eye on fifteen people, there'd be some people that would like I'd be like I'm watching you for like a year or two, and I'm like I see that you're turning around, and I'm not gonna kill you like I was planning. I'll, I'll but I'll but I have like. My eye on some people, and if they get too bad, it's time to take them out. You this know? is so much work, man. This is like this is, <laughs> this is like saying I, I'm only gonna eat when I find a hamburger that rapes. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it, it's so much following. But none of these people who get bit by vampires and turn into vampires—they're never happy about it. In I the mean, movies, yeah, yeah. I would be. I would accept it like I accept being myself. I only see you at night anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just, uh, all I'd want is to not be bothered and read books and maybe do stand-up and stuff. But then yeah. I'd be so hard to be famous and a murderer. I think being a the, like a serial murderer and being famous and trying to be funny for crowds, you know, that would complicate things. So I would have to let go of that dream. It would. Yeah. But I mean, like, 
it is you're on tour all the time. People <laughs> regularly, you know, have ill advised sex with comedians who come into town and then promptly leave town. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think it like Yeah, making the value judgment and deciding someone's bad enough to murder them. Yeah, I don't know. I've seen it turn around with uh, a lot of people that I didn't like so much. Uh, years later, I'm like, I kind of like you now. I'm glad I didn't kill you. <laughs> also, like, what is did Jack the Ripper think that he was doing a Dexter Good. Morgan type thing by killing the hookers? Like, yeah, what? I don't know. Maybe he was just like uh, got these compulsions. I'm sure. I, I don't know. Listen. You listen to Jeffrey Dahmer talk about murdering, and it's like, I, I know that I'm a bad person. I know that what I did was wrong, and everybody has every right to, you know, smash my brains in with a barbell like I killed my first victim. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not apologizing. I am apologizing, but I, I if I were let out tomorrow, I would do the same thing. Do you ever hear the... Yeah, uh, that's, that's Jeffrey Dahmer. That's my impression of Jeffrey Dahmer. That's a pretty good one. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's Richard is his first name, but Richard I- Ramirez, the Iceman Kushansky. Oh, the mob the, killer or the whatever. Mob killer. Uh, who his nickname was the Iceman back when he was, you know, one of those active, active hitmen. Then oh. it showed a uh, uh, a interview of him from in jail after they put him on Prozac, and he's completely, he's like very placid, and he's like, now I just want to be called the nice man. <laughs> it's like you don't you don't get to let a man be eaten by rats and then <laughs> make puns <laughs> you know? um do you do you consume a lot of like true crime shit uh not that much i have though i've, yeah. I've read uh i don't know i when I go there, I go there for a little bit. I don't yeah. know. I, or I like to read stories about murderers sometimes. And uh, what, What's been your... My um, go-to, your go-to classic yeah. uh, true crime. Yeah. It's um, Fred and Rose West by this British journalist, something Simpson. Okay. But it came out, the book came out like 20 years ago. And I read it when I worked at Half Price Books. It came up and... I was intrigued by a husband and wife murderer team that um, egged each other on and uh, would not have, they, neither one would have committed the crimes they committed if they weren't committing them together. Mm. But once they were a team, they, uh, they had about 15 kids together. They were just pregnant all the time and they killed about five of their own kids. Mm. And then they would take in foster kids and they killed like innumerable kids. What? And uh, in, from the, Late sixties to the early nineties or something, Jesus <laughs> and they were like, uh, they were just a kid killing, uh, like team that uh, would uh, take in runaways and you know, kill them, and um, <laughs> and they had their own kids and they, their kids were all warped because they were witnessing all this murder. They were scared of their parents yeah, because you know some of their brothers and sisters wound up under the uh, cement in the front porch. Or, you know, they killed their one daughter, and that was always the threat. It's like, you're going to turn out like the older daughter who, you know, tried to... They would rape their own kids ritualistically, like, from, you know, young ages. And, like, it, it's, it was, like, the saddest, meanest people... And um, well, it's like cigarettes. It's the ritual of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I would quit, but it's the ritual of it. What uh, was interesting was I read the book about Fred and Rose West. 
And then I read this book called Success by Martin Amos, who's a famous novelist, whose father was also a famous famous novelist, Kingsley Amos. Uh, Martin Amos written like uh, a lot of like best selling novels. One of them was called Success, and uh, it was an ironic uh, you know title, mm-hmm. but uh, it's depicted in this book is the story of um, Martin Amos's real life cousin had been abducted from a bus station and murdered by these people. And he didn't know that until three years after his book about that he was, he was, you know, sort of imagining what happened to his cousin that disappeared. And he wrote a story that was like eerily similar to what actually happened. Like, but like the facts came out like a few years later. Did people and treat it like an if I did it, OJ? No, no, he had nothing to do with it. He oh. was just like, you know, he cared about his cousin, but yeah. like he was also like this kind of shit probably happens in the world, and yeah. he and it like whatever his 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 like connection to his cousin that was his friend, you know, like you know, like some part of her suffering reached him because he was a writer who was like seeking voices, and what he oh. it wasn't exactly it wasn't anywhere near what exactly happened, but like the type of person who did it, and like like, like sort of like a there was there was like a. You know, it's eerie to read like this story, this novel written by somebody who was a victim of violence, who like imagined the crime before the you know facts came out late. Like well, guessing at the type of person who would do that crime is an easy thing. Yeah, yeah. Murderers are <laughs> like hacks. pretty predictable. They're hacks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, by oh. and large. Like, um, yeah. I really want to know who, like... Because, like, Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, right? A ton of women liked him for some reason. Not a charming guy. Oh, yeah. Not, like, his breath stank so bad that he was caught murdering because of it. Oh, no, I didn't know that. that. Basically, um, he... uh, His wanted posters started going up around Los Angeles. And his dentist approached the police, and I was, and he was like, "I know he's going to be back to my place because his mouth is so fucked up. Like, oh, he, yeah, you know, he's and, in constant pain. And he smelled like wet leather. Everyone who described him said he smelled like wet leather. So oh, just gross, top to bottom. Like he would pee on wet leather. Yeah, coming out of his mouth. The <laughs> uh, <laughs> the um like old sock smell." Uh, is uh, if that came out, what's the worst smell to come out of your mouth? I guess like oh, belly button smell. Belly button smell. Yeah. I love belly button. Male belly buttons. Male belly button. Uh, yeah, no. clean belly button is a fresh thing, and it's a oh, but, nice feeling. Oh, okay, but, but like but a dirty up? belly button, dirty yeah. fuzzy navel, right. buddy. Yeah. You know, hey, guess what? Homeless belly button. Guess what, partner? When when someone says belly button smell, they're not referencing <laughs> clean belly button. They're not smell. They're not referencing hot people. No, <laughs> even hot people can have a lapse in the cleaning of their belly buttons. You yeah, know? I and I my my stomach is such that mine has folded over and will now sometimes seal a bit of funk in there like a sandwich bag, and I have to go in and get it. Oh, I'm sorry about that. That's but, uh, your girlfriend's yeah. problem. So, not really she didn't go she didn't visit the navel that often weirdly enough oh no no mm. no yeah um wish you would hannah if you listen 
Anna, apparently, listen, did you hear Bob talk about how much he likes the whole belly button thing? <laughs> People like it. People, it's not weird. Uh, uh, she doesn't like it when I poke the very center of the bottom of her foot with my index finger. Oh. And it's not like a, you know, it's a purely intrusive thought on my part, you know, where it's like, I know she said she doesn't like this before, but there's her foot right there. And yeah. it, it takes everything in my power to not poke it and then her to go, stop. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And because I I think I was tickled so often, you know, growing up by people who figured out that I was horribly, horribly ticklish on like basically every part of my body that I I see it now as a part of like, you know, razzing each other. Yeah. As opposed to, like, the worst shit ever. It's like I tease my cat sometimes and make her hiss, but, like, you know, like, psh, 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 like, like, stepping on her tail. Something. No, no, nothing like that, but I'll, I'll just, like, you know, uh, you know, tease her with my hands so that she's, like, going after him and then going, like, you know, like, and it's like, I'm not, like, I'm just keeping her, like, like I'll dangle a toy in front of her and then, like, uh, smack her in the face or something like gently tap her or you know like you <laughs> you gotta tease your cat sometimes right you gotta if you have a cat you you, you tease the cat the cat so, at our part well the, the entire yeah but you know, you also like tease your partner sometimes by like you know like andy will attack me in my in my bed when i'm like uh, uh and, and, and since my bed is in the closet over there it's very hard to throw him off and get away you know, and then the tickling will just not stop, and he'll he'll be real mean about it. But it's not that mean. And I'm gonna keep up with my new feature. I'm uh, every time I'm reading a, I'll read a book, and I'm reading a book now called Dreamland. And I don't know how to pronounce his uh, last name. I feel like I'm going to sound really ignorant when I do say it. I'm reading Dreamland, the true tale of America's opiate epidemic. National Book Critics Circle Award winner, 2015. Uh, it's a nonfiction. Sam Quinones. Sam Quinons, Sam Sam Q U I N O N E S, Sam Quinones, possibly. Um, it's it's about the uh, devastation of um, opioid abuse and uh, how. Heroin and uh, opioids, hand in hand, people get addicted to the prescribed pills, and then they, then they gotta find the black tar heroin. So the two businesses reinforce each other, and then, I don't know. It's a, it's it's a, it's a true crime, eye opening, uh, uh, expose, sociological survey, uh, master storyteller, Sam Quinones. Uh, writes about the proliferation of heroin and um, opioids such as OxyContin and 
you know, Valium or whatever. Um, no, not Valium. What am I, dumb? I don't know. I, I don't know. I just started it, all right? I read the other book, and now I'm just starting this one. I just started and read about 10 pages of it. Um, so far, so good. All right. Um, back to the podcast with Micah Green. Uh, I... I'm gonna I'm gonna read this book by the time I put out another podcast, and uh, and and I'll probably over the course of some conversation I have drop little tidbits and 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 knowledge nuggets from my my uh, reading into I don't know I'll probably be talking to Tim Mathis or something I think I'm talking to Tim Mathis soon. I wanted to arm myself with some facts, or maybe just some something. He's so conservative. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to talk politics. Maybe I'll talk drugs. And and so I was like, ding, ding, ding. Get my mind on something I can, you know, we can all talk about. All right, let's get back to the podcast with Micah Green. This is another thing thing that I thought might be gauche to mention on the podcast is your sleeping situation. Have other Uh, people brought this up? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, It's a, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a full size bed that fits in my walk-in closet. Yeah. And so I decided to just put it in the closet so that I could have people over and not be self-conscious about having my bed in the middle of the room because it's a really small place. That, well, I mean, hey, man, and also... So it's, where is it? You can't even see it. It's over there. Yeah, there's some privacy. I think, okay, you don't have like a TV mounted on the wall of your walk-in closet. I don't watch TV in bed. Yeah. Uh, well, how do you do that, not do that? How do you not do that? Just listen to podcasts when I go to sleep. Oh, okay. And then I watch TV on the couch. Uh, and, uh, you know. But Nick Palermo posted something very recently about, um, cult podcasts oh yeah i'd like to if you would let me read uh his status about cult podcasts podcasts about cults podcasts about cults which is something that i'm very or like podcasts with cult followings like mine like i've got such a like a huge cult following i'm like oh it's like the cult of houston cult of morrissey everybody loves me yeah when all those cult of morrissey people <laughs> yeah, um, killed themselves oh. at the airport that was oh. crazy Oh man, did that really happen? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, man. You're blowing my mind. <laughs> um, Nick Palermo talking about cults. Uh, Nick Palermo is one of these guys in Houston comedy. Mm-hmm. I don't know how He's much. He's been on the podcast before. He has? Yeah. I don't know how much of your podcast you like being about like local That's fine. stuff. Who yeah. else is listening? Who cares? Sure, okay. Yeah. Uh, um, so Nick Palermo. So I, I just as a side note, I very much enjoy um, cult uh, documentaries and podcasts. There's a podcast called Ono oh Ross and Carrie. Have you ever heard of that one? No. Nope. Um, it's this guy named Ross and this lady named Carrie who actually join cults. Oh, that sounds awesome. And then they do investigative journalism pieces on it, and they join Scientology, they join Mormonism, they joined. Uh, Lakewood Church. Lakewood Church. Well, see, and then they'll run out of cool shit, and then they'll... They join the Satanists? I would love to hear about the Satanists. The the Satanists kind of bug me, to be honest with you, because 
They all vote for Trump, those fucking Satanists. They all uh, they're all fucking economic <laughs> conservatives. I'm like a fiscal conservative. I'm a selfish man. Oh. I'm evil. Oh. I'll take what's mine. So that's no one else matters. That's a Levian Satanist. <laughs> Anton Xander yeah. Levay was basically. But then there's like logical positivist Satanists, who are like, yeah. <laughs> but they're all also you know dorks who will sit and talk to you about quartz for too long. Which I don't care what your political beliefs are. I don't need a, a, a sales pitch on candles from you. So, so or crystals or uh, astrology is a big. Uh, I'm like, all right, everybody believes astrology. I'll go with it. Yeah, I'm a Leo. I know, I'm so self-centered. I'm a Leo. Yeah, that's why you are the way you are. That's why you know, your life works the way it does. I have a, the I day have, you were born. I have a real problem yeah. with mine because I was born on January twentieth, and apparently there's a ton of discrepancy. In Who's that. it? Stalin born on that day too? <laughs> really? I think so. Evil. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, yeah. Like Hitler was born on 420. Yes, indeed. And so is my dead dog, Hauser the dog. He was a schnauzer. Mm. Doggy Hauser? Yeah, Doggy Hauser. That's yeah, cute. And I, uh, uh, my very first Reddit handle was Doobie Schnauzer. Doobie Schnauzer. Which is a take on Doobie Hauser MD. Mm. Then I wrote a sketch. One of the very first sketches I wrote when I um, took Second City classes was Splooji Hauser. <laughs> it's a house that just. Uh, <laughs> it's like it's like um, in Poltergeist when the walls start bleeding, mm -hmm. but instead. Uh, so, have you ever written a sketch before, like a? Oh, you know what we were supposed to do in high school a couple times, and I was like, That's "I a... sure hate this." I was like, uh, "What? The, what did you do with my tomato? Where's my tomato? Oh, math is hard." Oh, uh, that was the dialogue in your sketch. Yeah, it would it would just devolve into like, "Oh man, you really made my girlfriend go crazy with that uh thing he pulled yesterday man what let's improv <laughs> all right man let's improv oh i feel so stupid yeah but then like even writing uh, i just in high school i had to write some sketches for this communications class or something because to, you went to that, high school in chicago yeah okay and uh but the uh like the the feeling of like um, trying to work with the random, uh, like two or three other people from my high school class and not really like having any, uh, vibe or connection with them or anything funny to add or, you know, you know, you say you make, you feel uncomfortable sometimes around Scotty Peterson because he's bored or, or, or like you feel like he's bored no, Scotty. Or, you, like, or you feel uncomfortable around certain people that like you want to impress or you, you're like, am I not saying anything funny enough to Grady Pruitt for him to merit my attention at all? Like right. I, like I had that first familiarity with that feeling of, I'm not very smart. Am I? I'm not very funny. I can't do this good. Uh, I, I just, uh, I try to think of an obvious thing. I don't come up with like a, you know, and then I put, then I shot a gun at the wall. Uh, like, I don't know. Like, but it's so weird how, because no one's more familiar with the fact that our peers are fucked up than we are, and yet we still judge ourselves based on the reactions that we get from these people who we know are fucked up. And it's like, you know, I, I talk to my peers a lot. I try to. 
and I um I always feel uh whenever I'm talking to comedians that uh I'm not quick enough on the riffing. Like whenever uh, the riffing or whenever the riffing starts, mm. I always way overthink what I meant to say. And yeah. I, I was watching. I do like the cruel wig snatching. And then they're like, why did you go so far? Oh, that hurt me, really. Uh, <laughs> I'm never putting you on a show again for the rest of your fucking... Who's <laughs> the know, last like, wig you snatched? I don't know. What I'm just saying that's, like, that's how it goes wrong is you say, thing you th- say something you think is going to be funny, but it's too mean. Or, you know, or like you, you, you go in a place that like, if you try to be mean funny and nobody laughs, then you're like, yeah. oh, God. See, I hardly ever yeah. have that problem because I have such a thick, barrier between what it is i'm thinking and what it is that i'm going to say which totally fucked me in improv when i tried to get into that and it also makes it to where when you have someone in the room like trey tetson for instance i was just watching him like it's like a fucking firehouse watching him talk just about bullshit and truly there's zero like uh, zero buffer time between him thinking and him talking and it's just fucking straight straight fucking diarrhea and I love what listening to him talk and there's a part of me that's really envious of that sort of mindset I know what, as I keep talking about this whenever I'm on the podcast I did it last time and I did uh. it the first time I keep mentioning Drew Holloway as someone who I'm envious of in terms of his ability to um, just come up with something perfect create create uh comedic connections in his mind yeah and i'm envious of scotty i'm envious of scotty because scotty has immersed himself in what is objectively a funny lifestyle where all he really needs to do at this point is talk about himself and people are like holy shit for real and then they start laughing just because like the very the the root of all laughter is shock right so if you just live a shocking life, then you can just talk about what you're up to. Yeah, like me, I just talk about my shocking past. War veteran. Yeah. You know, priest, dad, stepdad, priest, mother in a relationship with the guy who's a Catholic priest who was also first our psychotherapist. Yes. And um, then kept it a secret relationship and then he was moved to a parish. Where it, as punishment for having a relationship with my mom, where he, he had to handle a sexual abuse scandal and be the face of the media, while like three of the priests were passing around boys, and then he had to be like, "Oh well, it's not gonna be like that when I'm in charge." News, local uh-huh. news, Norwich media. Uh-huh. I'm, and then then he got like, uh, uh, like he was a performer. My my priest uh, father. I would call him father. Like I'd be like uh, calling on the phone when I'm at a friend's house and be like, uh, "Oh hi, is father there? Hey father, uh, can I sleep over at Andrew's house?" And then my friends would all be like, "Wait, what? You say father?" Oh uh, yeah, father. Um, I'll be at school uh, at seven, and uh, well, you know, uh, thanks, father, for the cigarettes. Like he bought me cigarettes when I was twelve. I, um, like what? Because he's like, "You're gonna smoke them anyway." Uh, he was always being Mister Nice Guy. But, uh, you know, I, uh, 
that was probably a bad move on his part. Overly permissive priest, <laughs> oh priest stepdad is a bad combination. Super of, big alcoholic too. Yeah. Like uh, super drunk all the time. Used yeah. to you know hit my mom too. And uh, you know so you know on the one hand free cigarettes. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah. And on the other like uh, you know, so I was living this crazy life, and, and sometimes I feel like you know it's not that hard to uh, like be a like a comic. You know, when when like all I got to do is reach down and talk about being abused as a child, or talk about being in this secret relationship, or joining the army, or like you know being gay and private, and being afraid to come out until I was like twenty three, and then you know, afraid to come out to myself, and then like you know all all these things that they're they're supposed to be comic fodder, but I think like the way Scotty is talking now it's like he's going through the worst year of his life he's yeah. having a real hard time every day and i wouldn't really want to be him and he's like upset and sad and his you know like last relationship didn't end well and i don't know i'm like um well his last relationship not ending well and scotty i'm sorry if you're listening to this Boy, could I have seen that coming to my I life. know everybody did. I know. <laughs> I know. All right. Like, but, yeah, we're all troubled. I feel like, I know. you know, it's only a matter of time before my job falls apart. Like, I'm, I'm just, like, oh, trying I to feel. keep as much money as I can saved for the inevitable time when I get fired for something stupid. I feel and, like, right. I'm, like, um, like, but, like, you know, I'm, I'm working at a strip club as a DJ in the strip club business is a cutthroat business, and people there aren't really, um... There, I'm there just to be an outcast. I don't really want to be in the service industry. I'm tired of acting like I care about stuff. As long as I work there, I don't have to wear a face that is not really mine. Yeah. While I'm at work. But you have to put on a voice. That's I just put this voice on every day. I go, uh, wow, look at that. Oh, like, <laughs> beautiful <laughs> Rachel, everybody. Uh, uh, yeah, like carnival barking time. Uh, uh, all right. Now I will say, uh, but uh, carnival barking is a far more inspired stripper name than beautiful Rachel. Beautiful Rachel, carnival barker. <laughs> She's uh, a petite flower. Uh, our next performer <laughs> is a spicy tomato. <laughs> I, 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 God, she's, she's sunburned and large. <laughs> yeah, <like> beautiful. <laughs> Crystal. You know, I don't know. Like, oh, um, Shimmering Crystal. I, I, I always say beautiful, gorgeous, lovely. I need to say shimmering. I need to say uh, the pulchritudinous Amy. <laughs> the... Uh, Sexy, lascivious, the gargantuan pig. <laughs> I don't know. Like, oops. Um, oh, now I see why you're afraid of getting fired. This seemed like a really easy job until until you uh, pulled it. Now he's he's reading all these from a script that he that he that he's pulled out. Yeah. You need to wipe those out, man. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's like. I, I think uh, Scotty. I don't. I don't think Scotty is doing things deliberately to be unhappy by constructing a life that is patently ridiculous on purpose. He's just really. I think he's trapped in a situation that he's trying to wrest himself away from because he made. Like he dropped everything in his life. He was a stockbroker and like um, was making tons of money, 
but hated it every day. And it's like an empirical genius. Yeah, and he's real smart. Yeah. <laughs> he's um like um uh, and yeah. Um and when I it's completely mind-blowing to see the projects that he's working on all the time and uh so he's it, building food trucks, winning cooking contests and stuff and then like uh And he seems to trying to start a brand. He seems to be appropriately proud of all that stuff. It's not like he's someone who you know, he's capable of great things, he does cool shit, and then afterwards he's like, no, I don't know, I, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, he's not suffering in that way, but it does seem like, you know, he's been fucked over a lot, it does seem like he, you know, he put a ton of work into, like, that first space he was in, and then the fire happened, and shit. He, he turned that one uh, house around that had the... Uh homeless people living in it and uh then he made it into something uh, he made it into like a venue yeah which was pretty fun yeah and he did a few shows at his own house he always wanted to have shows at his own house so he could control the vibe completely one of the worst times i ever bombed uh he did the tray pets and interruption there oh yeah and um never I, bombed on that i'm i've only done well doing that but i've only done it like a couple times i snorted ketamine oh, with yeah. uh scotty's roommate and um, it is per- perhaps the worst comedy drug because it completely disengages every muscle in your body. And so even if you want to appear enthusiastic about an idea, it's completely impossible. And so Trey didn't even know, like... Trey... It's like you're speaking through a balloon or something? Yes. Yeah, you're, you're limp yeah. is the best way to put it. And Trey didn't even know how to make fun of me or, like, when to make fun of me or anything. He just kept asking me if I was okay, which is the worst kind of bomb. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and I met... uh, There were... Okay, there were a couple where Amanda Holstein did really bad once, but just it didn't really get to her. Yeah. But she was just like, what? This is a cool outfit I'm wearing. And he was just making fun of it. And she's like, oh, don't say that about my stuff. Oh, and then uh, um, one time Seth Bullock was doing it. <laughs> uh-huh. And he had a date with him. And then um, Seth's date didn't know that Seth had a bunch of kids. Oh. And um, Trey brought it up about him having a bunch of kids and then his date was like what and then she got up and left and that was funny oh, <laughs> that was so shit. fucking funny oh that's oh my god that was like that's oh. so funny dude. <laughs> seth does have a lot of kids i'm always yeah. astounded at why is astounded but, but, uh, but like I think Seth put himself in that place, and then Seth was standing there, like, yeah, he worked with it, and it was funny, and I don't know. But, yeah, I kind of miss him. I miss, I, I was talking about, um, you know, how fun, you, I don't think you ever went to Darwin's Theory when it was fun to hang out on the patio. No. And talk to people, but Seth Bullock, and Nick Palermo, and Trey Tutson, and Scotty Peterson, and Matt Rogers, and Doug Dalton, and... You know, all these people talking in a circle were so funny every week. Yeah. More fun than anything we would do on stage. But we would all just talk in a circle for, like, this uh, every every weekly ritual. And we'd always have, like, a great time just, you know, doing the ripping stuff that you're saying you have a hard time with. Yeah. Like, there I got used to doing it. On a, like, that was really fun. But, uh, 
was never able to capture that energy on podcasts or you know like well yeah. like it's not something you just like pull out of your ass and say here you know like like that's what i felt like when i was 15 trying to write sketches and i thought i could never do it but you wrote sketches for uh the second city and like you were you were originally trying to get to some point about writing sketches and i railroad talked over you i think probably like i want to do and uh where were you going with that oh we were talking about um my dog hauser you said doogie hauser doggy hauser doggy hauser and then i said doogie schnauzer Mm -hmm. one of my very first sketches that i wrote for second city was Doobie Schnauzer MD, where a guy thinks he's he's in the hospital and he thinks that his doctor is Doogie Hauser. He's like, oh, thank God, this magical child is going to save me. And then basically a naked, hairy man with a beard and floppy ears and a collar walks in and goes, okay, I'll be your doctor. I'm Doobie Schnauzer MD. <laughs> and then Stoned, hairy homunculus. And then the guy's like, oh, I thought... I thought Doogie How Oh no sir. Doogie Hauser is a fictional boy. I am a dog who smokes marijuana. Now <laughs> please roll over. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> it's so unfortunate yeah. that like video yeah. sketch is obviously yeah. something that people pop off with. I wanted to do a joke where or I say to the crowd, Well, enough about meme and then I turn into a meme. Oh. Like, I literally turn into a meme. And I'm like, you yeah. know. And the crowd's like, what? I just saw that. Oh, that's the most amazing thing I've ever fucking seen. You turned into a meme from your phone. <laughs> like, you literally are ma- a magician. He's a cat who wants a cheeseburger. <laughs> yeah, oh my god. Enough about meme. And then, like, if I could do magic, that would be, like, my trick. <laughs> it's like to be Willy Wonka suddenly going, like, yeah, you know, doing the... Uh... Did you ever go to the Magic Castle here in Houston? No. No. You know what it is? You know what it was? I thought it was Disney's Magic Castle. Or no. Magic Kingdom. No. No. That was Disney World or Disneyland? It was like a really... Epcot Center? That was Epcot Center. That was Disney mm. World. Mm. Uh, better. Anyone yeah. who acts like Disneyland is at all comparable is poor. <laughs> Sorry. It all costs thousands of dollars and I'm not going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to. Uh... I feel really bad for my parents because uh, I was like five years old when they took me and they yeah. went into a massive amount of credit card debt, oh. like making the trip happen all for me. Yeah. And now, like. It's like getting a tattoo for having kids. That's yeah. like that's like the, the, the equivalent of getting a, a sleeve of tattoos. Like, like, it's like. Uh, what if you got tattoos to impress your kid? Like, I'm sure that. Have you ever seen the people who. Their child will draw a drawing and it looks like dog shit, and their parents are just like, "That's so man." And then they end up tattooing like a fucking Basquiat on their like a a, a fucking like a child's drawing of like a man with giant hands and a small head and a dog that's all fucked up. Hey, that's kind of beautiful. And then and then and then you're like, "What's that tattoo?" And they're like, "My kid did it." My kid did it. And, well, the follow-up question would be, like, is your kid dead? Like, what's the what's the significance of Your kid's going to make more drawings. Are you saying that's your favorite of your kid's drawings? I get why it's beautiful. Maybe I'm an asshole. But, <laughs> I yeah, think... I've never been able... I, I kind of wish I wouldn't have gotten my one tattoo removed. But what was it? 
an army tattoo? I did administer a tattoo on myself while I was in the army. With what implement? Uh, an electric razor and a big pen you with a needle Princess through style. it. Wow. Yeah. And uh, this, this guy, Viegas, had been drawing them all over himself uh, the whole time we were in the army. And, and I was like, uh, they were they were forcing us to take these anthrax vaccines and smallpox shot or whatever, like stuff that like, uh, anthrax. Yeah. Yeah. You know how like, uh, in 2003, the, the, the rationale for going to war was that Saddam Hussein was harboring weapons of mass destruction Mm -hmm. in these, um, you know, traveling, uh, trailers, you know, that were filled with, uh, you know, chemical warfare devices and you, uh, different diseases he was going to explode and disseminate yeah. and uh, uh, kill everyone with if we yeah. didn't do something to stop him. You remember in 2003, Colin Powell doing, these are our satellite photos of uh, Saddam's uh, mobile weapons units and his uh, weapons of mass destruction. And uh, this is this is our rationale for the war and this is why we have to do this. This is incumbent upon us as, you know, freedom fighters of the world or whatever the fuck. And uh, it was all bullshit. Of course it was. Yeah. You know, and, uh, but like, they were making everybody in the military take a bunch of uh, shots and stuff to prevent, like, the worst side effects of, uh, I don't know. A part of me really was worried that, like, he was going to produce giant bugs <laughs> in his mobile labs. And we would deboard the plane, and he'd be like, bah! And then, like, these face-eating bugs would come and kill everybody, like a, like a movie or something. It would be, like, like, alien. Like, he had alien technology. And, and we were there to, like there was there was like a little back when you're actually deployed to go over there. There was like my friends and I were joking about it when we were on mushrooms or something. But like it was uh, like a real thought and like but like you but then I was mushrooms while you were in the army. Yeah, I was on leave and I took some mushrooms uh, okay. and uh, they weren't testing for it, so yeah, uh, they still don't. But uh, yeah, like but the uh, like yeah, the thing is, I just didn't want to. I, I thought I could get away with not getting the vaccines and, and not getting any kind of like shots that. I'd be the only one in the unit to be like, uh, and and they said that you couldn't get a shot if you'd had a tattoo within thirty days. So you... so so I I put it I scrawled an ugly tattoo on my forearm when I was wasted. A friend of mine videotaped it, and uh, I was I was like I'd had like a whole bottle of rum or something myself, and I didn't even remember doing it, but I just like like scrawled it on, and it was like the ugliest thing I ever seen. It was the ugliest little drawing. Well, of what? A little face. It was like a little John Lennon face, but real bad. Mm-hmm. And um, like, middle you know, of the forearm, or yeah, like right here. Yeah, it was like a, just a, I don't know, whatever. I always like to draw, and I always thought I'll draw my own tattoo if I get a tattoo. And then I thought I'd draw one when I was so wasted and scared of being deployed that like it would look good, and it did not. And uh, and I tried to um, like undo it by putting cigarettes out over it. Okay. Well, I was like, I, I thought I would remove the tattoo by just like blistering it away. And uh, you know who else did that is Stevo has a story about doing <laughs> yeah, that. And I was like, wow, that is so crazy. Only he would do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I thought if I could handle putting cigarettes out on myself, I could handle being tortured if I was taking 
hostage or something. Oh, sure. So there was a part of me that was just like putting cigarettes out of myself. Also watching Steve-O. Jackass came out, or, came out around that time. And uh, it's so, like in the Mossad where they have you raise a baby kitten and then <laughs> smash its brains in. Smash its brains in. Yeah, if I can see handle it. that. Yeah, like, uh, I can handle killing I, anything. Yeah. Um, like, um, so I was putting cigarettes out on myself, uh, just on this tattoo, and then I, I, I but for a couple of years, I would just like not show that part of my arm to anyone, and I would like, I, I had this tick of like nobody sees this that tattoo yeah. and so I, I'm sure everybody I drew attention to it I'm sure everybody once they saw it there they, they couldn't look at it but yeah. I would always act like nobody's ever seen my tattoo this is you know um, and then I just had it removed because I didn't like it but now I'm like you wish you still had the shitty one yeah I kind of wish I would have still kept that really shitty no, childish scrawl and uh, just like yeah I bet that person who's got the kids drawing you know forever it's like it, it it was a moment of time like like trapped in ember or you know like am, yeah amber uh feel you know, like like a like a fossil it, it, there's a like there's some value in in holding on to even something that looks bad this is the one time my child stopped looking at finger family baby shark videos on youtube and drew a drawing and then i immortalized it <laughs> uh, i immortalized it so what do you think about the fact that the anti-war movement is pretty much gone in the United States. This is something that I think about a lot. Um, um, was it ever there? Was it ever yeah. like relevant? Yeah. Did it ever accomplish anything? No. The whole time we've been fighting wars as a country no. against ourselves, enslaving people, I mean, genociding you, people, holding, you know, Philippines and Guam and, you know, uh, Puerto Rico and exploiting places that are just beyond our borders and putting our Cayman Island tax shelters in this like uh, protectorate bank that doesn't have like local taxes applied, like like just treating people like the land is important and the people aren't there. The like everybody feels like like everybody in Puerto Rico probably feels like uh, you know the United States is happy to have all like access to our markets and our resources, but uh, they don't give us citizenship and we've never voted, but we've been you know like U.S. nationals for hundred years and like you know we we need like but we don't have representation and we're not like citizens really but we could move to you know we could easily move to the united states because we're born here but we, we don't have u.s rights but like well yeah, like the the country that did that is the same country that exists now yeah. and, and the people who allowed that to happen and 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 also a lot of the like medical experiments we performed other you know, uh, eugenics theories and stuff uh, they paved all the intellectual groundwork for the fascists of the twenties who did World War Two and you know the Nazis and the yeah. You know, like, now, granted, some of those experiments, th like, like some of the the the, the minds that did all that shit, like yeah. the <laughs> like, Japanese, uh, um, brutally freezing. Uh, oh, hello, Andy's here. Hello, Andy. Hi, hello, Andy. Loves. Andy's here. Podcast is about over, but uh, mm. we were talking about mm, people uh, getting uh, frozen by the Japanese and uh, what was it, Chong King or whatever, uh, the, 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 like uh, the rape of Nanking. Yeah. You know the the uh, wait. Nah. Well, it was the facility they had for. Okay, okay, but but back to my original point. Uh, when you were like, "Well, was there ever really an anti-war movement?" I just recall 
during the Bush administration, there's a lady named Cindy Sheehan. Do you recall this? I remember. Yeah, I remember Christopher Hitchens um, calling her a sob sister. A sob sister? Because what? her son died and she tried to start this movement to, yeah. you know, uh, bring soldiers home, you know, and, and from, you know, like she said the war was illegitimate and her son knew it and he died fighting for, like, as a soldier for, yeah. you know, a country that had betrayed him by sending him to a place that, you know, didn't need him there. And uh, and then then she was awakened and thinking that like maybe all of our military investments are you know, not worth it. Yeah, mm. I have a theory about yeah. stop sister. I have a theory about her. Mm. So during the Bush administration, she she camped outside of uh, okay. Camp David and she she led a protest with like uh, lots of people like you know protesting bush administration's uh illegal and uh, unjust war she also camped outside of his personal ranch she you know yeah yeah a lot of and not camp david uh it was a camp crawford and she yeah she received tons what am I, and tons and tons <laughs> of media attention uh-huh. from cnn msnbc et, et, et cetera yeah and then when the obama administration came around and the exact same shit was still happening she came out and said Hey, guys, it's all still have all the shit that I have been complaining about. This whole being a real sob sister about this whole time, it's still fucking going on. And then she disappeared from the news. Like, yeah, she probably got tired. I don't know. I no, get tired. She, didn't. she kept fucking no. doing it. She she tried very different. She tried very hard to maintain a presence in the media. Yeah, but she lost all of her coverage because they because the. She initially was getting well. Coverage. So did Urkel. Well, uh, yeah, uh, you lose your coverage after you're not a novelty. But Urkel it's... lost his coverage in much the same way, which is that uh, yeah. Urkel was a radical leftist, and the neo libs, <laughs> the fucking shit libs, were too were too big of a pussy to listen to. You got any cheese? You got any cheese? <laughs> yeah. Did I do that? You got any cheese? Is there, was your first herbal poll before did I do that? I don't know. I tried to go for the second one first. Though, but... um, yeah, I'm trying to think of a profound thing to end on because I understand that you would like to end the podcast. Yeah, it's about time. Yeah, but... Uh... Uh, well, the profound thing that I would like to say, my friends, is uh, prolong not the past... Invite not the future. Fear not appearances, and stifle not your inner wakefulness. And I stole that from Ram Das, and that is all there is. Well, a really great ending to the Feeling Club. All right, follow you at Micah Green of Stage and Screen. No, Micah Green, what is it? Micah Micah Green of Stage and Screen on Instagram. That is M I C A H G R E E N O F S T A G E A N D. S C R E E N. On Instagram. On Instagram. And Boring Old Bob on Instagram. Pencil Blobs on Instagram. Comedy underscore bathhouse on Instagram. Boring Old Bob on Twitter. Bob Morrissey on Facebook. Too many. Bitter Old Bitch on TikTok. Too many. And that's all. Yeah. So <laughs> Andy just went. <laughs> you need a link tree. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I should uh, go to the comedy bathhouse shows at the secret group every other week. 
Uh, we, we got Colton Dowling headlining the show on Monday. Uh, the bitches. Buh. 